This is The Lore Check. Hello, other people, and thank you for joining us for episode four of The Lore Check. I'm your host, Brandon Michael Terry, and with me as always is my co-host, Devin. It takes two to make a thing go right, Void. I'm glad you finally caught on to my multiple personality disorder, and I'm now calling us out for it. <laughs> we well, appreciate that. Well, I'm always here to help you, Devin. On today's episode, we're going to be covering gaming as a group. Uh, before we get into the general topic, though, Devin has a story he wants to tell us that kind of embodies teamwork, if you want to call it that, but it's a great story nonetheless. So there they were in Taldor, attempting to help an underground resistance against a rival house and city that was opposing their mission. In order to arm this rebellion, they needed to acquire medicine, they needed to acquire armaments, and they needed to acquire currency. They had already accomplished two of those things. The only thing they needed left was the medicine. However, each of these heists had garnered some amount of attention, so the final place they were going to steal from had up security due to that. Now, not everyone in the party was stealthy, so the party divided in two, stealth and non-stealth. The stealthy all took their own different way to break into the, uh, the building, some going on the roof, some going underneath, some just walking straight through the front door. Now, outside, the non-stealthy sat and watched, not really sure how to contribute until they had a good idea of what if we made our own fake heist outside to distract the guards and get them to come get involved with that thing to take some heat off of the people that are already in the building. Simultaneously, as the outer group is attempting to accomplish this, the group on the inside is rolling natural ones. We talked about that last episode, and as Brandon pointed out, I like to honor a natural one as a botch, regardless of what you roll. So they were constantly alerting people to where they were, getting discovered, and it all came to a, a big culmination when our bard realized there was no way out, having found the, I guess you could say, the boss of that encounter, and used all three of his scorching rays to blow a hole through the wall so he could jump out and escape. And at that point, all the teamwork went to pot, and it just became this big battle royale until they were all dead. They could grab the medicine they needed and retreat back to the underground layer. I remember this uh, this particular event. I was part of it. And if if you were to watch it, it would kind of look like an old black and white comedy movie. Is what it would look like. Something out of Charlie yes. Chaplin. Yeah, something out of Charlie Chaplin. It's kind of running around. Because outside, my paladin and the group fighter were putting on a play. My paladin being a cop of the local city. And the, the fighter being like this mass bandit where he's chasing around. So just like fake arrest in front of the guards to draw their attention. Then we run away. Then we're like, no, they haven't got back. So we did it again in front of them, back and forth. While the stealthy were just kind of like sprinting around, running around. One time when I'm chasing Devin's fighter, we saw the explosion with a scorching ray burst outside the building. We just kind of look over and just go, what's happening right now? <laughs> to, the, to the bar who's jumping out of the side of the building. Somehow the whole city did not come rushing to this place this time. Where chaos is filling the entire streets, people are attacking and fighting, and through this whole experience, somehow our rogue is never seen once. Everyone else is seen, they've been caught in some way, the rogue gets in and out with the medicine without ever being seen in his entire event. I was very proud of, of how he was able to accomplish that. Part of it was just quickly um, creating water on the ground, and then using an ability he had to basically blend in with the water. So he created a, essentially a manhole to jump into <laughs> and wait for guards to pass who could climb back out. But so, this is something that 
None of us could have imagined this thing going this way it was as we first started. None of us could have picked this thing by ourselves at all. But that's the beauty of what we're going to talk about today. It's because we came to this story as a group, each one contributing our own individual ideas, our own individual thoughts, our own individual lack of abilities. Because for a while there, our fighter and pilot were just standing next to a fountain having a conversation about life. Well, this is all going on inside, so we eventually figured out we could make a play. We all had a new experience that we got to come together. And today, we're going to talk about gaming as a group. Because most of the time, most role-playing games takes two or more people to play. Yes, yes. Generally, you see, at the very least, you see one game master and three players, usually. Usually three. Some, the standard is four, I think. Yeah, yeah. Usually four is a pretty solid party. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's possible for our GM to sit down at a table and do a whole game by himself, GMing for fake people. But that seems kind of sad to me. Again, you're just calling out my, my two or more multiple personality disorder. Why? Because it seems sad to me, Devin. That's why I'm calling it out. Oh. So for the most part, you have multiple people. And this is something that's going to be part of role-playing games. So the question would be, why do we love coming to this table as a group of people playing the same game, creating a new experience together? And so what I want to do is I have three big ideas that I think are going to kind of help cover why it's such a cool thing to be game as a group. The first I want to bring up, unless you have anything you want to say introductory-wise before we get going, Devin. No, I think uh, what I have to say is going to fit in well with the three topics. Okay. So the first topic I want to talk about is shared creativity. What I mean is, when you come to the game, there's a real chance to create a unique story by having a group of people. Because there are great authors out there who've written amazing books. We all know them. We have C.S. Lewis and Tolkien. We have Neil Gaiman. We have J.K. Rowling, who are amazing stories on their own. We won't deny that. But the beautiful thing about gaming is the story is created by a group of people together in a way that I don't think really works in many books. What do you think, Devin? I think that because you have all these individual wills that are attempting to accomplish individual tasks or even the same task in different ways, uh, it, it does kind of add for almost a buffet of possibilities mm -hmm. if you'll allow the analogy. I do allow the analogy. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, so I think it's all these different wills clashing or working together, which reflects the real life we live in, that my personal life experience is not built up just what I wake up and don't do. It's shaped by what other people who are around me desire, how they feel, what they're going after, what they can do. My life is constantly shaped by other people. It's never just my story in the real world. Yeah, you're the main character yeah. of your story, but you have all the background characters and secondary characters mm -hmm. that are, you know, influencing that. Yeah. Which knit together this grand tapestry of a story that is this entire world we live in. I think that's why even, even the best novels, like, that's really what happens the main character. Is he shaped by everyone around him? But role-playing games allows the actual writing story to happen with a group of minds. Because, like what happened in our illustration story, when we all got to this building, no one at first thought that the monk was going to trip on the roof and cause a bunch of noise to alert people to what's going on. No one knew he was going to do that. So they had to come with their own understanding of what they are going to do. And as soon as that happened, bang, they had to figure out how they're going to react to that. It creates a story that you can't control on your own. Like, just as we talked about last session with the, the dice rolls, having the people there takes the complete control out of your hand and lets you have to react to chance and possibility. And I think it, I think it also uh, helps because it taps into a, a deeper need for mm -hmm. people to... Like, we're social animals, yeah. right? Generally, whether we express it or not, have some level of desire to be around other people. And so I think that by playing with multiple mm -hmm. people, it kind of is a way to express that need as well, to, yeah. to really live that out around the table together, but also in the game as your character, yeah, whoever absolutely. that might be. 
yeah, we're talking later about how this this kind of like develops as part of our human development. For now, I think it is like the need, like I need someone else to influence me in order for the next story to grow. Like if we didn't have the people around us, our story would just not develop a lot of times. And even with role playing games, no matter how creative you are as an individual, you don't have the same background, same experiences, the same worldview as the people at the table with you. And so they sit on the table, you instantly have all this stuff being brought into it. And if we allow that, if we embrace that and delight in that, some really cool stuff can happen. We can learn a lot of life lessons from that. We can learn a lot of life lessons. And speaking of which, maybe I can move on to our second benefits we can gain from it. We don't want to lecture you about how to live your life, but we're going to right now anyways. <laughs> so strap it. So those of you who are in the working world now, have jobs, and those of you getting ready for it, what we've all kind of realized is almost every career field we're in, you're going to have to work with a team in some way, shape, or form. Devin, have you ever had to work a job and you have no team whatsoever? Nope. Never. And the jobs you have now, is teamwork a pretty big part of it? Most definitely. Can you kind of give us some elaboration of like what that looks like in your work life? In my work life currently, uh, teamwork is a very big deal because, uh, well, what I do is I currently manage a restaurant and a lot of what we do is prepping catering. Now, if your head prep is not prepping properly, then that's really going to, I know it's, it's a mouthful. It's like the yeah. Peter Piper. Yeah. But if they're not doing it properly, then it's going to really set the caterers back. The caterers have to arrive on time and they have to pick up the food the right way and they have to get to the venue at the right time. And then if the venue coordinator isn't there to help them set up, then there's another issue that they bump into and then they put things in the wrong area. So that being just one example most career fields do have some element of teamwork that you need. And maybe if you stay tuned and we don't destroy this podcast, we might be able to tell you how you can use your D&D experience to pepper and season your resume. Absolutely. I'd love to talk about that later. And I even work in an office. And in the office, you have to work as a team. You have to communicate with each other. You have to make sure that people are doing their responsibilities and their jobs. If they don't, like nothing gets done. Or at least not done well. And so we're back in high school. We all have the dread experience that you say, okay, time for group projects. And half people hated it, half people loved it. The people who loved it were just people who wanted someone to do the work for them. And the people who hated it were the ones who just wanted to get the work done. And so we never really embraced that experience. But it's quite possible that your high school teachers, and don't tell them I told you this, they actually had a good point and they made you work as a team in high school. Maybe they're actually helping you. Once again, don't tell them I agree with that. It was terrible. I hated being in groups. But it does help set you up. But better than doing stuff in a classroom and doing group projects, I'm going to go ahead and make my case and say the best way of learning teamwork is role-playing games. Devin, what do you think? I think the best way of learning teamwork personally is to uh, collect a random group of people, put them on a plane, drop them in the middle of a desert or jungle, choose your terrain, and just see what happens. But the second best... You got a fair point there. I'll give you that one. Second best option. The second best option is not that, but role-playing. Yeah. You even see the corporate world. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but the, the corporate world does it all the time. I mean, they don't always, you know, break out the dohecadedron dice and go at it but they do have role-playing scenarios you know you have a how do you handle this situation let's pretend we're in it even when you go to camp it's oh no we're all stuck on a a raft and now we have to pretend we're in this situation we have to figure it out you know role-playing is a lot of other places in life it's not just the little miniatures on a map it's quite possible that the basic way that role-playing are set up give you what you need for teamwork so the classic role-playing party for D&D Pathfinder is the fighter, the healer, the spellcaster, and the sneaky guy who steals stuff. And you have these four people together in a party because each one specializes in something that's needed to be done and that the other ones can't do well themselves. And what that does is it means you have to learn how to do your area well while trusting the other person has your back. You have to learn to be, I'm great at what I do, I specialize in this, 
and embrace that, but I can't do everything myself. So we've all had some unbalanced parties before. Devin, what's probably the most unbalanced party you've ever GM'd or been part of? Oh, that is a very difficult question to answer. Maybe the most unbalanced party? Okay, I, I can think of one. Well, it was probably um, in my first game I played when I realized that custom feats were a thing. Mm-hmm. I made what, in my opinion, was a very modest request mm-hmm. that I developed a feat called Combat Meditation, mm-hmm. which meant I could sacrifice one turn of action to meditate during combat, and as long as I made my concentration tech if attacked, I would get a bonus to hit for every attack on my next round. Now, I thought it was fair because, oh, I sacrifice a round of attack to gain a plus five to every attack on the next round. However, as we began to uh, progress throughout the campaign and I became a more experienced player, as our GM became a more experienced GM, we kind of both realized, uh, that's really overpowered. But he never asked me to take it back, so I, <laughs> I, I yeah. still got to play with it. So your character ended up like kind of wrecking balance a little bit because you got too powerful, right? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, and that, that kind of hurts. When someone's doing all the work, people either have less fun because of it. Like, if one person is just way too powerful in your party, people have less fun. Oh, 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 and this is... This, you You just triggered something on my mind, I think. Okay, go ahead and trigger it. The deck of many things mm. is a very important topic for overpowering your party. Now, it could also just completely annihilate your party or ruin the storyline to a party. But if you draw the right cards... It can very much overpower your character by ascending them three levels, and now they own a keep, and they have a million gold coins to their name. Yep, you're right. And we probably covered the deck of many things in a later episode. Build up on how the thing can be crazy. And maybe even modified to yeah. not be so insane. Yeah, but that is a good point, though. If, if there's certain things that happen in the game that make a player way too powerful, it just makes it... They can become way too powerful. It doesn't less fun, because the GM has to do one of two things. Either they have to split that character keep going around killing everything in the party or they have to make monsters that are strong to fight that one character which then puts everyone else in the party at risk because they're not strong as this guy who's three levels above them so we're playing games almost immediately have this mentality of everyone has to be on the same level as much as possible so they can all contribute to the party if you have parties that not everyone's there for so when i first started playing Devin, you're the gm here yes our party consisted of a cleric a rogue and a wizard and we fought a dragon that is correct. And somehow we lived by the mercy of the GM. Because a cleric, a, a rogue, a rogue who was trying to be a archer at the time and wasn't <laughs> quite good at it, and a level one wizard, do not fight dragons. Like, we're not sure how that worked out. But it was not a good, we had no fighter, no tank. And my cleric was into a healing, he was busy trying to fight the front lines. So, what I'm trying to say is, what role-playing games teach us is how to jump into this teamwork setting. How to cover each other's back. How to know what my job is and what their job is. And probably the hardest thing is learning how to trust somebody. When it comes down to teamwork, Devin, I don't know about you, one of the hardest things for me is learning how to trust other people to do their job. It's like you almost have to habitually build a pattern of knowing that they're capable of doing their job well before you can actually trust them to to do it. It can be very difficult. Yeah, because if you don't trust them, you're going to stop them from trying to do it. And you can never learn whether they're good enough at it or not. But role-playing games forces you to be in that setting of you have to trust. As the fighter, you have to trust the wizards behind you to blast things. (laughs) Or the cleric's there to heal you. As a cleric, you have to trust the fighter is going to go up front. You're going to not be in front. So I think that's a beautiful thing that we get taught. Because these valuable life lessons that bond us together. And speaking of bonding, Devin, what's our third point we want to kind of bring up about why role-playing games are so cool as a group activity? Our third point would be the fact that, yes, while you do build teamwork within the game, you also build friendships outside of the game. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very important. For me right now, I'm actually in a game. I'm, I'm playing two games, one with my friends and then 
one with uh, three people who are strangers to me. And it's actually been pretty fun getting to pre-game banter and post-game banter. Just kind of get to figure out who they are and, and start to build that bond. As people heard, there's the whole Band of Brothers formula. That some of the strongest relationships you can ever have in your life are formed through life and death scenarios. War, surviving armed robberies or disasters together. That kind of builds the most strongest relationships that people have. Well, most of us are not going to go to war. Hopefully, most of us don't have to go through armed robberies or natural disasters and survive. So that what we have is pretending to be in the scenarios together. Having things we care about, which are role-playing characters that we embody. And having those guys experience life or death scenarios together. It can really help you bond people at the table. Because you share this experience. And there's something about sharing experience with somebody that bonds you automatically. Yeah, it gives you a chance to, to look back on it and either with fear or with pride... Mm-hmm. Be like, I can't believe that we made it out of that. Did, did you see when they when when they cast that time slow spell and, and they tried to they tried to behead you? Like, oh yeah, but but then you came in and and you dispelled it and just all yeah. that fun stuff. Yeah. And so when we're bonded over this common purpose, this common either victory or defeat, we have this thing that kind of unites us. Of we shared this together. You were there when we killed the dragon, or you were there when we lost our best friend to that dragon. Because one of two is going to happen, probably, <laughs> probably both. And you instantly connect over that. You share that. Even just sharing a story period is a bonding thing. When two people read the same book together at the same time, there's no, this is the kind of bonding that happens. When you watch a movie with somebody, even if you don't talk the entire movie, like there's some bonding that happens during that experience. Or even when you meet a stranger that you happen to have a common interest in, immediately yeah. there's a bonding there that, that begins to occur. And I think that what we get from role-playing games is a chance to have those bonding experiences, those chances to really fight through tragedy or through our common purpose and thing. The difficulty is this isn't just something that happens naturally. Like, while this is an opportunity that can happen through role-playing games, there are some ways of blocking having this bond together through role-playing games. The first would be is if someone tries to make this whole thing their story. The, the biggest candidate for making that error is the GM. The GM can very quickly forget that it's everyone's story and focus on being their story. It becomes very much like a... Uh... Like, not to throw this game series under the bus because yeah. I absolutely love it, but Bioshock is a very much beginning point, progression through, end point. It's a railroaded game with pre-scripted mm-hmm. occurrences and everything. Whereas if you play a game like Skyrim or mm-hmm. Fallout or what have you, yeah. or Pillars of Eternity, you know, it's, it's a little more open world. You do a little bit more in that and kind of start to create your own story throughout of it, which does uh, mm-hmm. help with the bombing. Yeah, and I do agree, like, at the end of the day, like, video games are great. I love games that have a linear storyline to go through. Even things like Mass Effect is still very straight, straightforward. You play through Shepard's story, and that's fine. When we come to the table as a role-playing group, I'm not there to play the GM's story. I'm not there to be his novel character. But it's very easy. As a GM, I've made that mistake myself. Devin, I'm sure you've made mistakes as well, trying to make this your story you're trying to tell. Indeed. So, those of you out there who want to have this experience of creating a group cloud of story, remember, GMs, this is your group's story that they're telling. And your your joy is giving them the opportunity, not you telling them your story. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to be able yeah. to bridge the second the second point. Absolutely. That, um, well, another thing that can really get in the way of that is if personal conflict is blown out of proportion, especially mm. if the personal conflict comes out of in-game conflict. Yeah. And there's only but so much the Game Master and other players can do to prevent that, but... I can recall in one of my campaigns, I had two brothers playing. And, you know, there's that sibling rivalry, two brothers who are going to, you know, kind of butt heads from time to time. And occasionally, they would just, you know, go at it with each other. And one might storm off, one might shut down and stop contributing to the actual overall uh, mission that was occurring. And it's one of those things that you kind of have to find a balance to. 
Yeah. And I think there's there's other podcasts I listen to. Uh, the Gamers Tavern podcast actually has a great episode on this whole idea of keeping conflict where it belongs. Conflict that begins in the game needs to stay in the game, everybody. If your characters have an argument with each other, that's their character's problem. It's not the player's fault. I mean, I once had a... One of my characters was almost sold into slavery or sold into a, to a bounty hunter by another character in a group. If I let that make me angry at the player, it probably could have hurt our friendship pretty long. Because he wasn't doing it to... Sp- Bite me is what his character was doing. So try and keep it there. Likewise, out of game conflict, keep it out of the game. So if you're related to the person you play with, please keep it out of the game. If you're having a biff with one of your friends, keep out of the game. If you're a married couple playing with each other, for heaven's sakes, please keep that out of the game. It makes it awkward for everybody. If they make some kind of reference to their marital spat in the game, just kind of sort of go, oh, okay. It's the the old saying, uh, let us not wash our dirty laundry in front of our guests. If you're close to these people, it's fine to kind of share your experience with them. Just don't do it during game night. It makes the whole thing awkward, and it hurts the bonding. The last thing that kind of hurts the bonding experience is if you're so focused on your own character's experience, they don't care what anyone else is doing. The biggest opportunity this happens is during combat when you don't pay attention to what the other players are doing. That is such an annoying situation. If anyone has ever played a role-playing game where they were in combat and it gets to person A and they have no idea what's going on or what to do, it slows down the game, and it also could potentially be the leading cause of yeah. a party member dying. Yeah, it could happen. And even more than just it being mechanically or just strategically bad to do that, it also means you weren't sharing your experience with us. The only thing you were experiencing is what your character did to the monster. You're not sharing what my character did to the monster or what my character did to support Wiles. So why would you ignore other people's turns during role-playing games? You instantly pull yourself out of that bonding experience. Because really, your entire experience was, this giant dragon was fighting us. I hit a lightning bolt. I went invisible, I flew around, and it was dead. Don't know what happened. While everyone else is like dying and trying to fight for their lives, all you remember is you did this few things and you went back to your phone. So please, in order to keep this bonding, this shared story going, you need to pay attention to other people's rounds. Not be so egocentric. I know it's boring to not be the one doing stuff, but there is opportunity to enjoy it if you just let yourself really watch it as a story unfold. Thank you for joining us today's episode of The Lore Check. Next time we're going to be talking about the powers and abilities of our characters, this feeling of strength, technology, and all the cool stuff that come with role-playing games, and why that's not just fan service, it's actually part of good stories and good experiences. Devin, is there any other major topics you want to cover about at this point? The closing proverb, I believe, would be in order. If it takes two to make a thing go right, it will hopefully, probably, should actually, take more than two to defeat a powerful white. And by white, he, of course, means an undead creature, not a uh, <laughs> not an ethnicity. Just to make that clear to new, newer listeners, to people who are newer to gaming here. So thank you again for joining us for Lord Check. We'll see you next time.